So living a life with true and lasting freedom feels like a fight because it is a fight. (laughs) It is. We have to fight for our freedom. This is why I think weariness and complacency, weariness and complacency can tend to set in because it's a battle. We grow weary. We get tired, right? We're not seeing the results we want to see as fast as we want to see them. It's taking too long for that thing, that habit, to not be a habit anymore. Whatever it is, we just start to grow weary, and we either give up or we give in. Like, we really want to do something about the way we speak. We want to stop gossiping. We want to stop complaining. We want to stop talking negatively. But after weeks of trying and working and doing all the things that we know we should do, we have that coworker who every day still comes. Hey, Terry, guess what? Hey, hey, Terry. And every day you're like, no, I'm not doing that anymore, man. Sorry, I don't want to talk about it. But you, you have a bad day or you have a bad week. And that coworker comes back on that, that day. And you're just so tired. And you're like, man, what? Tell me. Tell me. And the next thing you know, you're right back in what you were trying to get out of. Or maybe God was talking to you about needing freedom in the way that you eat. Maybe you use food as a comfort instead of God as your comfort. And you're doing so good, but you have a few setbacks. And then there's Oreos right there on the counter. Nobody else is around. And so you take eight of them. And then you come back and get four. I'm telling y'all a story about me. And then you come back and get two. Right, Dale? Pray for me. And you, and then you're like, well, I might as well just go for it all, right? That's what we do. We just get tired. And then there's complacency. And I think that can be even more dangerous. Because we get complacent and we think, well, I've come this far. I'm better than I was. Like, can I just settle here? What's wrong with just being this good, this free? You know, a lady used to come to our church, it used to because of what I'm about to share. And, you know, we have a pastor who was always pushing us toward more. She was in the foyer and she was troubled and she, she stopped and she talked to me and she said, Clarissa, why is Pastor Philip always talking about there's more of this and more? And she was truly visibly upset. She said, what's wrong with just having a good life with your family and just living a normal life? And she stopped coming to our church. But she's not the only one that feels like that. A lot of us feel like that from time to time. Haven't I come far enough? Can I just settle here? But we are not just fighting weariness or complacency. We're fighting some very real enemies. So in the first week, we talked about kind of some battles, right? Religion versus relationship, fear versus love, the power over sin versus sin itself. And we talked about the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light, that there is this battle going on that we cannot see, that we are caught up in, whether we like it or not. 
And James gives us some insight into that kingdom of darkness. And I want us to pick out three words here from James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. James says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Don't lie about it and don't brag about it. Such, quote, unquote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, here are our three words, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, where you have comparison and jealousy, and everybody looking at everybody else and wanting what they have, where you have selfish motives behind everything you do, And it's really about you, even though you say it's not about you. Where you find that kind of living, James says, there you find disorder and every evil practice. The New English translation says, such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. In the kingdom of darkness, we find everything that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Colossians 3.5, we read this last week. Colossians 3.5, Paul said, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Our flesh, our sinful nature, that part of us we've been talking about that wants to be resurrected. It wants a seat at the table. It wants to control our lives. We have to put it to death. But it's a fight. Amen? I hope I'm not the only one eating all the Oreos. No, y'all don't eat. Oh, God, just pray for me. It's a fight. Because our sinful nature is fighting against the very spirit of God. Galatians 5.17, Paul helps us with this. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with one another. Our fleshly desires, the things that are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, are in direct opposition to the spirit of God. James said those things don't come from above, right? They come from somewhere else. And they come from someone else. Tonight, I just want to remind us that we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy. And listen, we don't need to be afraid of him, but we do need to be aware of him. Some of the people I know who struggle the most are the people who say the most that the devil can't hurt me. And they struggle all the time. The Bible says we should be aware of his schemes. He's our real enemy. And he's our enemy because he's God's enemy. And we belong to God. He's bold. You know, I always think about this, and I was telling Neely, God kind of brought this back to me. When Jesus went into the wilderness, right? He got baptized, and it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't eat or drink. And then who shows up? Yeah, 
the enemy shows up and he tries to tempt the son of God. Now he had been in heaven and he knew Jesus, he knew who he was, but there's still something so twisted about him that he thought he could tempt the son of God. And if he will do that, you think he's not coming for you and me? He's coming for us too. He's called by many names, Lucifer, Satan, Beelzebub, I love that one, <laughs> the tempter, the devil. First Peter 5, 8 says this, and Peter is writing to a church who is suffering right now. This church is going through a whole lot, and he says this, he said, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says, wake up, be alert. The devil is coming for the weak ones. The ESV says, your adversary, the devil. He's our enemy. He's our foe. He's a slanderer. And the Bible describes him as a false accuser. I love this. I love that Jesus exposes the devil in John 8, He gives us some inside access to who he really is. And this is what Jesus says in John 8, He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. We speak English, the devil speaks lies. For he is the a father, excuse me, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says, there is no truth in him, none. He says, lies originate with him. Our enemy, our adversary is the father of lies. But listen, here's the tricky part. Here's the tricky part. This is where the deception comes in. He doesn't show up like a lion, right? He doesn't show up like that character we grew up seeing in Tom and Jerry, all us old people, with the horns and the little pitchfork and the, and the little cape. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. This is how he shows up, Paul says. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Hmm. Hmm. Where the truth is that God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. That's what 1 John 1, 5 tells us. God is light, and there is no darkness at all, in him at all. The truth is that God is with us and for us, and he wants us to live in freedom. But the enemy shows up like he's for us too. And he offers us a counterfeit form of freedom that we talked about in our first week. It says real freedom is just doing what you want. Real freedom is just following your feelings. He's bold. He's crafty. This is the same trick he played in the Garden of Eden. He showed up like a friend to Eve. He didn't show up like an adversary. He showed up like an advisor. Hey, I know what's best for you. Eat the fruit. 
You'll be wise. You won't die. Like an angel of light. But here's the truth. He's always an angel of darkness. (laughs) Every lie and every deception comes from him. And because of that, hear me, the only way we can live in true and lasting freedom, the only way we will win is if we know the truth. We have to know the truth for ourselves. We have to be able to recognize what comes from God and what does not. And I'm telling you, the closer we get to Jesus' return, the harder this is going to be. There's going to be so many teachers standing up in pulpits, preaching things that sound right. This is what the Bible says. And a bunch of people are going to go and listen to them and believe them. We're already kind of seeing this in our world, fake news. What are they doing with the Ukraine war right now? They're fact-checking everything because people are posting things that aren't true. We have to know what comes from God and what does not. And then we have to build our lives on that truth. We have to let our core beliefs be grounded and rooted in that truth. And then we have to live out the truth that we believe. In the kingdom of darkness, we find everything that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. In this kingdom, the devil rules and reigns, and we find lies, disorder, and every evil practice. But in the kingdom of light, or the kingdom of God, we find just the opposite. In the kingdom of God, we find everything that is heavenly and spiritual and supernatural. In this kingdom, God rules and reigns, come on. And we find truth and order and love and light. Truth order, love, and light. It's going to be a fight, but we can win and we will win (laughs) because we have God on our side. How did Jesus identify himself? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come on, how can we lose when we have the truth on our side? Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is on our side. We can win. We will win. Come on, coach. We can hear you. We must win. We must win. Amen? All right. So last week, we introduced these false core beliefs that were taught to me in a, a class I took two years ago, that three years ago now, that just changed my life. And so we're going to look at them again. And we said last week the best place to start, you can start different places, but what they taught us was that if you, if you don't get your core beliefs in order, you're going to keep coming back to the same dysfunction. So this is the best place to start the process of freedom. Pastor Mark Batterson out of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., This is what he says. He says, 
the opposite of belief isn't just unbelief, it's a false belief. It's not just unbelief, it's a false belief. We don't need to be praying, God, help my unbelief, but help me with my false beliefs. Pastor Philip said this a couple of months ago in a staff meeting teaching he was doing. He said he's just been chewing on this thought that when we say we have unbelief, that's not really true because if you have unbelief, you're really believing in something. There's something we're believing. So let's revisit these four false core beliefs. And this is the lens we're going to look at at them through tonight. We're going to look at what other lies we might be believing if this is one of our core beliefs. So I want you to, you can write or whatever you're going to do, but I want when, I, when you hear the list, I don't want you to be like, well, that's all of those aren't me. If any of them resonate with you, I just want you to kind of think about it, okay? So the first one is this. I must meet certain standards to feel okay about myself. I must meet certain standards to feel okay about myself. So if you believe that, what other lies might you be believing? You might be believing that you are in control of your life. That's where perfectionism comes from. Control issues. Anybody got control issues? Worry, anxiety, anger when things don't go the way you were planning. You might believe the lie that you are better than other people. Because you set your standards up here, but look at all those slackers down there. <laughs> this is where judgment comes in and prejudice even comes, elitism, racism. You might believe the lie that what you do makes you who you are. So that's why you want the title and the status. And when that's disrupted, you lose your sense of identity because that's, that's who you were. And it made you who you were. You might believe the lie that what you have makes you who you are. Which is something I think a lot of Americans struggle with. Where you live, what you drive, how many vacations you can take. If all that gets blown up, what happens to you on the inside? You might believe that if you look a certain way, it makes you who you are. I think this is why we have trouble aging, especially in America. Because now I can't, my standards are slipping. I got wrinkles. I got to go get Botox. I got to get that tummy tuck. I got, why? See, this is the thing. We have taken all of this in like it's normal. But this is not the wisdom from the kingdom of God. When we are 90 and can barely walk, we should be so confident and who we are in Christ, that nothing can stop us from fulfilling our purpose. Right? You might believe the lie that you can produce righteousness or holiness without God's help. And this is where self-righteousness comes into play. This is where we get caught up in following all those rules and trying to check those boxes. Because I can, I can prove to God that I'm, I'm good enough. You ever talk to somebody who, who said that to you? 
well, I'm a good person. God knows my heart, (laughs) right? 1 Peter 15, 16. 1 Peter, excuse me, Eddie, 1, chapter 1, yep, 15, 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. That word holy, I'm going to butcher it, is hagios, hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S. It's the Greek word, hagios. Butcher it with me, hagios. Okay, good. That makes me feel better. It means set apart by God or for God. Set apart by God or for God. But in this particular verse, this is what it means. It means in a moral sense, pure, sinless, upright, Holy. Anybody in here sinless? Here's the truth about standards. God has higher standards for us than we could ever have for ourselves. And his standards are holiness and righteousness and unconditional, unselfish love. Can you produce that by yourself? I can't. No matter what we do, no matter what kind of standards we set for ourselves, we'll never be able to reach God's standards without Jesus. There are no standards we could set that could even come close to his standards. Because his standards require something different. They require us to have a change of heart. And he's the only one qualified to help us meet those standards. Number two, I must have the approval of certain others to feel okay about myself. If you believe that, come on, and only you and God know, what other lies might you be believing? That other people are in control of your life. God's not in control of your life. You're not even in control of your life. Other people are in control of your life. So you battle with indecision. Instead of living by faith and doing what you feel God wants you to do, you rely on other people to help you steer your life in the right direction. Or you may believe the lie that when someone rejects you, there is something wrong with you. That you're missing something. It makes you start doubting everything. You could believe the lie that people pleasing will fulfill you. If I can just please enough people, then life will be good. But here's the biggie. You might believe the lie that God's love and approval is not enough. You know, I was talking to a high school girl about this. And I love her honesty. She said, you know, I've known that all my life, but still, still, it's not enough. I want my friends to like me so bad. I so appreciated her honesty because I've been there too. So you go from relationship to relationship or friendship to friendship or church to church trying to find in people what you can only find in God. And this is a great sign. When relationships are out of order, it makes you feel like your whole life is out of order. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. 
It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. When we must have the approval of certain people to feel okay about ourselves, we are fearing those people. We are setting them up as an object of worship, really as idols in our life. Matthew Pohl's commentary on this verse says, the fear of man is opposed to trust in God because it comes from a distrust of God's promise and providence. The fear of man is opposed to trust in God because it comes from a distrust of God's promise and providence. This false core belief has always been a problem. John 12, 42, 43, I've always found this interesting. John 12, 42, 43. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, even of the Jewish rulers, believed in him. Think about this. Believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him so that they would not be excommunicated from the synagogue, for they love the approval of people rather than the approval of God. The people's approval over God's approval. So many of us still struggle with this today. I know it's something I've struggled with. Number three, those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished in some way. Mm. If you believe that lie, what other lies might you be believing? You might believe that every bad thing that happens to you is a result of some bad thing you did. Karma. I'm getting what I deserve. You might believe the lie that your past has power over your present. You might believe the lie that people who hurt you must work for your forgiveness. They have to prove it. They have to change. They have to get down on both knees and grovel and kiss my feet. Oh, no, I don't know. That's a little extreme. But that, you might believe that. You might believe that God does not love you. Like deep down, you might not ever tell somebody that, but you know you've struggled with that. You might believe the lie that God is mad at you. You might even believe that you are condemned and what Jesus did on the cross is not enough for you. It might be enough for other people, but man, it's not quite enough for me. Romans 8.1, I love this verse. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. That's good news. Here's the problem with feeling condemned, because when we feel condemned, we naturally want to condemn others. And we can never fulfill God's mission for our life if that's how we go around entering every relationship and every room. And this is why the person with this false core belief struggles to forgive people. 
and really struggles with bitterness. And they kind of wait and watch. They want to see other people fail. They might not ever say that out loud, but they're always thinking, ooh, that's what they get. Number four, I am what I am. I cannot change. If you believe that lie, what other lies might you be believing? You might believe that your sin or addiction is unbreakable. You've just struggled with it so long, like, there's no way you can live in freedom. You might believe the lie that you will always be a victim. You might believe the lie that something bad is always around the corner. You're always looking for the other shoe to drop. What does that mean? I wanted to say that so bad, but I don't know what that means. You're always looking for the other shoe to drop. Like, I just know it. I just know it. I can't get my hopes up because here comes that thing again. And I think the most dangerous lie of all is that God is not all-powerful. Because if that's true then how can he ever help me? You know, it's so interesting. (laughs) I was trying to find the word hopeless in the Bible. (laughs) And I could only find it used eight times across seven translations. I mean, I was going everywhere. And it really dawned on me because the Bible is not a book of hopelessness. It's not a book of hopelessness. It's a book of hope. It's the story of God restoring broken, messed up, wayward people over and over and over and over again. Jeremiah 18, 12 is one place I found it. Jeremiah 18, 12. But they will say it's hopeless. For we are going to follow our own plans, and each of us will persist in the stubbornness of his evil heart. In this verse, the people of Israel were in a real bad spot, if you know anything about Jeremiah. And right here, God is trying to get their attention. He's trying to give them a chance to turn back to him. And their response is, it's hopeless. We'll just follow our own plans. We'll just figure it out for ourselves. And we know where that leads us, right, when we try to figure it out for ourselves. You ever been there? The truth, of course, that that kills this lie is that with God, nothing is ever impossible. All things are possible with God. But you know what they taught us, and and it really just humbled me and, like, sobered me and kind of woke me up. They said, when you're working with someone, when you're counseling someone, and you dig dig down and find out that this is one of their false core beliefs, you may not be able to help them. I was like, okay, okay, oh, wow, okay. They said, because if a believer has this as one of their false core beliefs, it messes up everything. Because we serve a God who can do anything. But if deep down we don't believe it. Hmm. 
All four of these false core beliefs are lies. And we know where they come from now, don't we? (laughs) The enemy shows up in different forms. He uses our memories. He uses people, unfortunately. He uses circumstances and even our own voice. This is why it matters so much what's coming out of here. He'll use whatever he can to whisper these lies in our ears. You must meet certain standards to feel okay about yourself. It's true. Really, that's okay. You're just a high achiever. You're just a high achiever. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody likes the approval of certain people in their lives, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with being liked and affirmed and wanted. Like, what's the big deal? People who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. That makes complete sense. You did a bad thing. Now feel bad. Act bad. Be bad. Or they did a bad thing. So treat them badly. It's only fair. You see how he shows up? You are what you are. You can't change. Just lean into it. Don't fight the feel, like, right? Stop fighting it. Be you, boo-boo. All these people come and talk about, change this, change that. Don't even listen to all that. This is just how it is. This is just who you are. You know what? Everybody that loves you will understand. An angel of light, your friend, All of these false core beliefs are lies. They're lies. And they lead us to dysfunction, affliction, and addiction. All of these lies lead us to these things that the Bible says we got to put off. You got to put this off. They lead us into things like sexual immorality. As a believer, you have to believe a whole lot of lies to excuse sexually immoral behavior. But people do it every day. These statistics are mind-blowing. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors, they, they speculate through a survey, view porn on a regular basis. 76%. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24, search for porn on a regular basis. If you're doing that, you're practicing sexual immorality. If you're sleeping with someone that isn't your spouse, you're practicing sexual immorality. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, hear me. This is what Bible class is for. (laughs) You're practicing sexual immorality. But sexual immorality isn't just watching porn and having sex. Jesus said it's just looking on someone with lust. And maybe that's a regular practice for you. You don't even think about it. You see a nice-looking guy, and you say, hey, now. <laughs> hey. But you say it in here. You don't say it out here. You don't say it on a mic. Right? <laughs> and when you see a nice-looking lady, you go, whoo. And it's just a habit. You don't even realize it. You don't even fight it anymore. 
because it's so natural. Or how about the dysfunction of judging others? It's dysfunctional for believers because God has called us to love others the way he has loved us. So what may be normal in the kingdom of darkness out here in the world has to become abnormal for us. Or what about covetousness? I just want to say that word because it's in like the Bible over and over. What does it mean? It's like comparison-based, envy-driven living. Comparison-based, envy-driven living. So many, so many. I know I've struggled with it. American believers need freedom from this. Every magazine we walk by in Walgreens, every commercial, come on, the Super Bowl commercials, like I'm like, I need a Lexus. I need one. I have to have, no, God, Lord, woman, you just bought a new car, right? It's like, it's just like in your face. And again, it doesn't show up like it's bad for you. You don't realize it's bad for you to your credit cards. You can't pay your, you can't swipe them, like, right? You don't realize it's a bad thing until it's too late. And that's how the enemy works. He draws us in with these things that seem harmless, and he knows they're going to destroy us. All of these false core beliefs lead us to dysfunction, affliction, or addiction, and we need freedom from every single one of them. Somebody say amen. Woo! Most of the people, just so you can know if you're normal, most of the people I've talked to or worked with and talked about these have like two that they struggle with. Mine are the first two. And I didn't even realize that number one was really one. I kind of knew until I started doing this, Pastor Philip. No, I'm kidding. I was like, I told Neely, I said, I think God is showing me. I must meet certain standards to feel okay. I feel like, oh. Most of the people I know struggle with at least two of them. But we need freedom from every single one. So we started this freedom class. And we wanted it to be very introspective, and we wanted people to be able to identify the lies and replace them with the truth. So week one, this is what we teach. We teach the truth about God. Come on. The truth about God. We talk about his identity and his character. All of those false core beliefs are trying to get us to first believe something false about God. That's why they're so dangerous. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite quotes. He says, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. I will say that quote every day for the rest of my life, just to remind myself. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. True and lasting freedom can only begin when we know the truth about God. Week two, we talk about our identity, the truth about you, you, me. We talk about our identity as children of God and citizens of heaven. If we don't have a proper view of our identity, we can't live a life of purpose and mission. And we will fall for the lies, hear me, that are whispered to us by other people and our world 
if we don't know who we are, I really believe this. I blame everything on Adam and Eve. But if they had really known who God was and who they were, I think we'd still be in a garden somewhere, naked and unashamed. I really believe that. So week one and week two, we start with who God is and who we are. But then week three, we talk about what it means to actually live forgiven. And it's so important. Accepting God's forgiveness and allowing him to heal our hearts are so, so important. We talk about the results of sin, how it's affected our lives, and what it means to live forgiven, to really believe it and then live like we believe it. If you struggle with shame and condemnation and guilt, you probably have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness. So we talk about that in the freedom class. It's the most basic thing that every believer has to believe is that we are really forgiven. Week four, then we talk about forgiving others. Oh, don't skip that week if you come. Come on. Forgiving others and how crucial it is for us to truly live an abundant life. Man, it's all over the New Testament. God is really serious about us forgiving other people. So that week we actually walk through the process. We get kind of have a step-by-step process for forgiving other people. And we take the time to examine our hearts and It's a part of the homework that week, just kind of thinking about that. Week five, we talk about receiving God's love and abiding in God's love. You see, we're going after all of those core beliefs. If we do not believe we are loved by God, our lives will easily be shaken. And we'll constantly struggle with other false beliefs. Because if God doesn't love me, then everything else is up for grabs. I have to go find that love somewhere else because I was literally made to be loved. Week six, one of my favorites. We talk about how to submit to God and renew your mind. Because if you really want to live free, that's how you have to live. We talk about two roots that are at the heart of every false belief and sinful behavior, pride and fear. Ooh, yucky. Pride and fear. I'm convinced that those two things are ruling and reigning in the kingdom of darkness, pride and fear. A couple of my favorite snippets about pride. C.S. Lewis said two things that I just love. He said, pride is what made the devil the devil. It was pride that caused him to try to exalt himself. And what did Jesus say happened when he did that? He fell like a lightning. And then C.S. Lewis said this. He says, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Ooh. When we choose to sin, when we choose our way over God's way, what are we saying? God, I know better. God, I got this. So we talk about pride and we talk about fear because these are the two things that will keep us from submitting to God. And if we want to live in freedom, we have to learn how to daily submit to God. And then week seven, I love it. We talk about life with the Holy Spirit. 
Mm, that's how we end it. We talk about the Holy Spirit's role in our transformation and freedom. We learn about what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. And that he's the one who reveals that truth to us. And he's the one that also gives us the power to walk in the truth. So now my hope for us all. I'm sweating so bad in my like, what is this called? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Oh, my health people help me out. Okay. My hope for us all. My hope for us all. And it's really another picture of the process of freedom, I feel like. It's Mark 8, if you have your Bible, Mark 8, 22 through 25. Mark 8, 22 through 25. They came to Bethsaida, where some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. After spitting on the man's eyes, Jesus placed his hands on him and asked him, can you see anything? The man looked up and said, yes, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. Jesus again placed his hands on the man's eyes. This time, the man looked intently. His eyesight returned. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus then sent him home with the order, don't go back into the village. What do we see here? The man was blind. He could not see. And just like this man, we are all blind to some things in our life because of deception. But then he encountered Jesus, and Jesus led him out of the village. He took him somewhere different. He took him somewhere else. He had to leave where he was to get what God had for him. And literally, these last three weeks, for some of you, you've come to this location so that you could get what God had for you. And figuratively, we are all going to have to leave our old ways of thinking and being to get what God has for us. But he didn't just take him outside of the village. He touched him, and the man began to see. But he couldn't see clearly. And I really do believe this. I believe that some of you have been touched these last couple of weeks, not because of me, not because of the content. I believe you've been touched by God. And you're beginning to see some things a little more clearly. But Jesus' goal was not that this man could partially see. He wanted him to see completely. So he touched him again, and the man saw clearly. I think that walking through the freedom class for some of you is going to help you see more clearly and completely. And then he told him this, don't go back. 
Listen, when God opens your eyes to the truth, you still have a choice. Ah, we still have a choice. Will we go back? Will we keep thinking the same things? Will we keep living with the same false beliefs? Or will we go where he is leading us, where he is telling us to go? I don't know if you're going to come to the freedom class. If any of this has resonated with you, I hope you will. Some of you have already been through it, and it's okay if you want to go through it again. It starts not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, we'll be meeting in the team room um, starting March 16th, right, Neely? Okay. (laughs) But this is my hope. My hope is that whatever you do, you will always fight for freedom. If you never come to this church again, my hope for you is that you will always fight for freedom. That you will work for freedom. That you won't grow weary. And especially that you won't grow complacent. And ask me the question that lady asked me in the foyer. Isn't just having a good, normal life good enough? No. Not in God. In God, there's always more. I hope you'll allow him to show you over and over and over where things are wrong or where he might have something more for you.